0: tell stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with morning, Good Morning, Nolene.
1: Good morning, Macca. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. Where are you?
1: I'm driving to Penrith at the moment. I'm on the Great Northern Road. I built my very first house at Camden some 45, 46 years ago, so I'm sort of very or fait with this area, but the growth here is just um, a staggering. Staggering. It's, um, it's progress, I suppose, but it's not what I like, but that's how we move on don't
0: we well I don't know if you do you someone's I mean that's what Dick Smith was on it about last week I think and it's it's the elephant in the room nobody wants to well nobody in in positions of power seems to want to talk about it but um, yeah there's a balance for everything Nolan so Nolan what do you do what are you doing
1: I'm driving up to do a coffee gig all morning and I you know float around in the coffee van I've got somebody that's going to work with me today and do that and uh, so I do see lots of great sunrises and everything and I saw another fabulous one today. Just the end of that crescent moon and that North Star there—it was beautiful. People
0: that don't get up early, they don't know what they miss. Nolan, you're, you've got—you've uh, got kindred spirits all around Australia who are keeping the, the nation going because you know, of course, coffee is the national drink now. And farmers, even farmers—you know—you think they're out there and they're, no, they, they <laughs> no, dro- they—they drive into town for a latte. I
1: I heard that. I heard that. I thought, I, I love you. I thought to myself, we need
2: more of them, you know. But um, Well,
0: but you're, yeah. keep, you're keeping the, you know, you don't realise that the politicians think they're running the joint and making us work, but no, it's you people who make coffee. you oh, getting up early, looking at sunrises. Nolene, you should get an AO or an AM or something. <laughs> and I've got to fly, but look, I'll have yes. a, tu- a turmeric latte, please. <laughs> I'll get that for you anytime. time. Tell
3: stories so grand of this vast, timeless land, and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca.
0: I oh, will good morning and welcome. Wasn't she lovely? That was la- that was last year, but uh you gotta laugh. She's out there, people are doing that all the- it is amazing, isn't it? Coffee, I mean it's just vans, coffee vans. I I told you that I was on a barley tour last year or the year before, and we're out in the middle of nowhere in South Australia, and I thought I wonder. I said we're on a farm looking at barley crops, and um, I thought I wonder where we're going to get lunch. Probably I said the farmer's wife will probably bring some sandwiches out, and next minute a coffee van arrives out in the middle. I'm telling you, it was miles from anywhere, and of course we just yeah we had turmeric latos and beetroot lattes and the whole deal. It was just. And it is. It's keeping the nation going. It's keeping the nation going. I mentioned that I was going to talk about this. I'll tell you what's on today. Um, the State of Origin's on in Perth, which is they're taking rugby league football to Perth. Um, there has been a team in Perth from um, in other times. Uh, many of my friends, some of my friends went over in the trade, George and Bruce, Um Went over in the train. Uh, lots of people will be flying in from Queensland and from uh, New South Wales. I suspect it'll be a big event. Lots of rain over there. It'll be wet. It's been cold. It's been cold everywhere. Prime Minister's back from Fiji. He went for a week. Went away for a week. He had a big, he had a big time belting round for the election camp. Must be very um, draining, I reckon, to be in an election campaign. You have to talk to everybody. You have to be nice to everybody. Um, <laughs> And yes, well, that's interesting. Thank you. I'll take that on board. Um, you have to say those sort of things, don't you? But anyway, he's going over to the Origin uh, as well as that. I don't know if there'll be any behavioural awareness officers, which they have in the AFL apparently, um, but I think that'll take on. We've got one here who's strolling up and down the corridor. This has just started here. Uh, behavioural awareness. Can you believe it, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, la- oh, dear, oh, dear. Last week, uh, was it last week? I think it was. Uh, might have been a week before. Uh, Don rang, uh, and Don, Don said this. Uh, yes, Don said this.
4: i have got to go out and feed about 13,000 sheep and lambs because I'm in charge of meals on wheels, and it's about the only following I'm ever going to get.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was Don. Anyway, um, Carol sent a little cartoon. She says, uh, "Call caller last week, that was Don, said he was going to feed... Uh, thirteen thousand of his followers. I drew this illustration. It's got a picture of a farmer standing on top of a little on the back of his ute, which is going along. Self, so, you know, you will leave the ute in gear and it just sort of rumbles along. And he says, "I've got hundreds of follow followers, and not one of them on is on social media." And there's he's on his little ute, and there's hay and stuff on the back, probably grain. And there's a little crowd of, a little crowd of sheep and lamies, and even some cattle, on the back. It's just wonderful, Carol. Thank you very much. That's there. It is my We'll put that up on Facebook. I'm showing it to my guest. My guest this morning is Emeritus Professor Robert Clancy. He's uh, he's known for his research into um, immunology and therapies for chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, pulmonary disease, which is commonly known as emphysema. And it's the flu season. I thought we'd talk to him um, about injections and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Robert, good morning, and nice to nice to have you with us. Great to be here, Magga. Yeah. Um, tell me about and. and I'm almost more, I shouldn't say this, more interested in your research and your, your hobby because lots of people who've got a job and you think, oh, they're jobs because I've known, got lots of doctor friends and they're into doctoring but they're more interested in their hobby which might be guitar playing or collecting stamps and, and yours has been maps, hasn't that's, it? That's Ma- right. Maps yes. of early maps of Australia. We'll talk about that in, in a little while. But this is the flu season. Very, this last week's been the coldest of the year, I think, very cold. And wherever you go... Um, People are saying, you know, oh, I haven't got the flu, I've got the flu, everyone's got the flu. And of course, um, everyone, I suppose, over the age of 60 or even over 50, what would you say, should get an injection?
5: Oh, everyone over the age of six months should really? get an injection. Yeah.
0: Not just. The, not... the
5: flu's a serious, nasty disease that kills people. Yeah.
0: I just um, I had an email yesterday or the day before from a lady who's done some research and is writing a book about the effect. And it was obviously the Spanish flu in 1919 in in a little town like Udenadatta. Um... And uh, and in South Australia generally, but um, and that was a, that was a flu epidemic, wasn't it? It was called. No, that the Spanish- was probably the worst. That, yeah.
5: absolutely, yes.
0: And that was nineteen, I think, just after the war. Nineteen. 18, yes. Til n- til more about,
5: people died in that than they did in World
0: War One. Yeah, until about twenty or nineteen twenty or twenty one or no, something. Nineteen nineteen. And it yeah. must have been bewildering. I think. Uh, I, I suspect, especially yeah, it in it was
5: shattering. I, I think prior to that, Australia it had, had epidemics of flu, but. In the through the 1800s, we were fairly isolated and mm. we didn't get a lot of – there was a filter system of being on a boat for a few months and that would sort of – an epidemic would die out. But in the 1890s, there was a serious epidemic and then after that, um, the big one was 1919. Mm. Uh, it, it's all about when the flu changes. It, it's got a genetic constitution that's very unstable. And so it changes, and it's a bit like a, a lotto ball system. All going, the lotto balls going up, and bits and pieces of the genes come down. And if it changes significantly, you're in for a very bad flu season.
0: That's what they used to say about the AIDS virus, didn't they? That it mutates. Yes, um, so it and, mean, it,
5: exactly. But the the type of change in the flu yeah. is quite different because yeah. the the genes are a bit like little lotto balls, really. Mm. They're, they're along a, a string, and so they're not continuous as they are in most viruses. And so they sort of get thrown up in the air and how they land determines what type of flu virus you get. And if it's significantly different, then you don't have any immunity to it. And so you have severe life-threatening influenza, as we did in 1919.
0: Someone like you, who's in in the lab and whatever, trying to, how do you work out how to, where do you go? And you say, well, look, we've got this flu, what How do you go about preparing a virus? Uh, You know, (laughs) um, an injection to to fix it up, and then you've got another one the next year, or maybe you have two in Mm. one year. What what, that must be? I don't.
5: I don't sit. It's not me. I don't sit in the lab. The way it works is that we have laboratories all around the world looking at the flu of the day, mm. and as it changes. Uh, that rings bells, and immediately you change the production system so that you gear the vaccine for the next year, so it matches the emerging type of flu virus. Because there is a constant, subtle change. As you're right, they mutate. Mm. the The usual mutation is a subtle one, and so the flu we have this year will be a little different to the one last year. Every now and again, you get a dramatic change, and that's when you get the big. Pandemics like uh, nineteen nineteen, the nineteen fifty seven, I think it was. So,
0: so you're always playing catch up, are you? You're really?
5: always playing catch up, and you're always scared that the big change is going to come. And the cyclotron, the the animals where all this goes on is usually birds mm-hmm. or maybe pigs. And so that's why everyone gets concerned about bird flu and uh, porcine flu in China, because are we? Is it going to throw up another one of these big changes that we're not? We have no immunity to.
0: Mm. I'm talking to Robert Clancy, emeritus professor. Um, uh, his immunology um, is his uh, stock in trade. I'll give you a number: thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Wherever you are around Australia, all over the world, you can uh, ring us. We had a call this morning from. Ma- Matthew in uh, Normandy, in Normandy. He lives in London. He was heading to a triathlon. He's lived in, he comes from Griffith, but he's lived in London for many years. He said, unfortunately, you know, I married an English lady. So he said, oh, you have to, I have to live in, Have to live in London. He said London was quite good because you hear a lot. He said London gets a lot of bad press in terms of weather, I suppose, and you hear about drizzly and rainy and stuff. But he said it was it was uh, yeah. He enjoys himself. He enjoys life, and he enjoys running in triathlons and all those sort of things. And he goes cycling. I suppose it'd be nice, but uh, in in lots of ways, when you if you read the pro. Press and, and take notice of it, and you look around the world, the world seems to be in a mess. But I think it was always in a mess. My mum used to say, Oh, the world's in a mess. And that was 50 years ago. You know, she'd say, The world's in a mess. I don't know, Robert, what's your take on that? Well, a, well it just, always seems to be a well, mess. I, doesn't I think it?
5: it's always been in a mess. We just know about
0: it more quickly. <laughs> <We've got laughs> and we hear about it more often. More often. Yeah. yeah, we hear about it for 24 hours of the day, whereas yeah. before we were thankfully. We, um, we have a, a news cycle that loves bad news, y- I think. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Now, Tell me, um, you you were known for your research into chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. That's emphysema. What causes, lots of causes, I suppose, of emphysema, smoking? Um, well, working not, 90%. 90%
5: yeah. in this country are still caused by cigarette smoking. Mm. Uh, what it does, it changes the... Uh, it damages... Tox, it's a toxin damaging the airways, and that allows bacteria to come in to the airway so that if you get... The, uh, the flu because most people who die from flu are over the age of 60 mm. and most of them have some impairment of their airways and so they have bacteria and these bacteria uh, have a receptor on them that actually binds to the virus and they go crazy and so you've got a crazy bacteria a crazy virus and that leads to the flare-up and pneumonia in, in many of these individuals and some of them die
0: How did you get involved in this area of uh, medicine? Uh, I wanted to
5: be an immunologist before anyone, including myself, <laughs> knew what an immunologist was. How come? <laughs> well, I, you well I'll, tell you, I, no, I'll tell you, I, I looked around at my friends, and I, I'm a physician, and internist, and uh, all my friends were getting into these vertical areas of medicine, which sounded pretty boring, because if you're a heart doctor, you kn- knew nothing about a brain. So I said, I'm going to get involved in a mechanism. So it cuts across all these barriers. And Immunology was the one, but um, we had to sort of create it as a specialty, which Mm. of course it is now, and uh, a very uh, major one. But my interest was in the area of the mucosa, the lining tissues of the lung and the gut. And I was very lucky. I worked in Canada with a chap called John Beanenstock, who was the person who showed the communication between the gut and the lung. So you could show that cells went from little organs in the gut called Peyer's patches, and they would go like postage stamps, take me to the lung. And so we could <laughs> redefine how the, the, the lung protected itself. And that led to uh, looking at chronic bronchitis emphysema as a model system in man to see if that, what we did in animals worked in humans. And it went on from there.
0: Uh-huh. And been a, a rewarding life. You've enjoyed oh, ter- it.
5: I, yeah. I have been the luckiest guy. <laughs>
0: uh, tell me
5: why. Well, first of all, we've lived in what a great time we've we've lived through. Um, secondly, uh, I went into medicine at a time when you could actually do what you felt was right and good and, and interesting. Uh, a lot harder to do that now. The bureaucracy is uh, so much greater. Uh, and I was in an area where uh, we could ask questions and sometimes get answers. And it all seemed to work. I think things are much tougher for younger people today.
0: G'day, this is Macca.
4: Oh, g'day. G'day, Ian. It's Matthew Calabria calling from uh, Normandy in France.
0: Oh, Matthew, how are you, mate? We wondered when you were going to call. What are you doing?
4: Oh, I'm, I'm all right. I, I, you probably don't remember. I rang you about I rang you seven years ago to the day uh, after watching Black Caviar at Ascot, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh... I'll, I'm driving. I'll give you a quick call,
0: Matthew. You obviously get around. What's what's your story, or do you live over there?
4: Yeah, I've been living in London since 2012. Lost the toss. Wife's English, so uh, still there. <laughs>
2: um,
4: but uh, I'm driving to a little place in Normandy called Doville to do a uh, to do a triathlon uh, tomorrow morning. It's about quarter past ten here, but it's summer solstice, so it's still light. It's about uh, quarter past ten, so. It's a big, wide-open expanse of uh, of Normandy in France and uh, listening to you, and I thought I'd give you a quick call and give you a quick update.
0: Listen, what's it like living in I've never been to London, you know. I've never been I, I should get out more, as people say. <laughs> I should get you out know, more. But it, what's it like living in I'll London?
4: i tell you what. It gets a bad rap, but um, it's actually pretty good. We live near uh, a place called Richmond Park. It's about 600 hectares. There's about 1,000 deer roaming. I take the dog there in the morning. Uh, you know, I... I I find it pretty good. It's um, it, uh, a lot of variety and lots of things happening. And there's always, the nice thing about London is there's always someone coming through, especially now when it's freezing cold at your neck of the woods. I've got uh, my sister and father coming over uh, in a couple of weeks to have a bit of sunshine because it's going to be 30 degrees here next week. So that should be interesting.
0: Yeah, it's been a cool change uh, in Australia, much of Australia, even up around the Isar and places like that, you know, where you think it's, uh, it's a bit warmer. But winter and minus threes in Alice and... And just generally right well, across, but it is winter, and that's and that's good.
4: Yeah, no, Mark, well, Dad lives in uh, in Griffith, and it was, I think it was minus three there the other day. I don't think it gets that cold in London. That's the funny thing, because everyone everyone whinges about the cold, but uh, it's more the darkness in the in the winter. The half past three, four o'clock, dark. But you know what? You uh, you get you get you get the right clothes on, and it's all fine. But no, <laughs> all good, Mac. all good.
0: Yeah, but it's sort of bloody miserable in England because it doesn't you probably shan't get the minus threes, but it just get those grey days and they go on and yeah, it's about, you know, yeah, four or five or six degrees can, or something.
4: you you just gotta find a uh, a nice warm pub with an open fire and a cold beer. Everyone's happy.
0: Well you you get around, you live in London, you're in France, so uh, I suppose you you travel all the time. What do you do, Matthew? Do you are you working oh, or you're a man of yeah, leisure?
4: No. No, no, I'm working. I uh, I work for Coca Cola over here, and so uh, they've been pretty good. They brought me over from uh, from Singapore all those years ago, and I've been here ever since. So uh, it's been good. Yeah, I do a bit of travelling around Europe, and um, so it's all right, actually.
0: And and what about um, what about Oz, mate? What uh, do you miss us?
4: Oh, I do. Um, yeah, sadly, I've been back a couple of times over the last few years because I, I lost my mother this time last year and my sister a few years before that. Now, I'm massive fans of your show, Ian. So um, I've been, I've been, I come back for Christmas with the family and uh, and uh, get back, you know, get out of this winter and get back for summer. So I'm trying, I'm trying to get back this Christmas, so it should be good. But uh, I try to get back at least once a year, Ian, just to make sure my uh, kids they're Australian roots anyway.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, well, Oz is a nice place, and when you look around the world, you've got Boris and uh, the other, what's the other bloke's name, James, um, um, uh, vying for the Prime Ministership, haven't you, at the moment? In, uh... Oh, yeah,
4: that's, yeah, that, that, that's, that's all happening. It's, that's the one thing that makes me a bit nervous, And what's going to happen with Brexit and new Prime Minister, and so uh, it's, it's been a funny old environment over the last uh, couple of years since that Brexit announcement, but let's see.
0: Yeah, well, uh, look, sometimes I think, you know, the world's in a mess, but it's always been in a mess, and, and the more you read about it, the more you see in the papers and stuff, you think it really is a mess, but um, I just, you know, I think, yeah, relax. Good people around the world everywhere, um, Matthew, yeah, and, yeah. and and hopefully good people uh, mean common sense and things will be okay.
4: Yeah, exactly, and there's a lot of good people in the world. We're actually, at this and we're raising money for the Special Olympics, so... Um, so uh, that's a it's a good cause, and I think uh, what's happening tomorrow we're going to do. I've got I'm doing a uh, Olympic triathlon. In the last K, we've got some special Olympic athletes coming to run with for the last uh, last kilometer. So um, that should be good. And you know, just doing a bit for them is uh, is, is is a good good thing to do. I reckon.
0: So I'll say try out You can have that on your own, Matthew. But I admire people who can do it. It's um how many of those do you do a year?
4: Oh, uh, I, I, I do normally long-distance cycling. I haven't done a draft on for a while. I got raped into this by some work colleagues. But I, I'll see how I go tomorrow, and then I may do another couple. It's just that water's so cold there, and that's the thing. I'm in a full wetsuit that doesn't head in. I normally like swimming in the ocean with... Just no wetsuit, but this, this whole wetsuit palaver it does my head in.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Just give you a report from Oz. Uh, Manly Beach, uh, Bondi Beach, about nineteen degrees at the moment. Maybe a little Ooh. bit cold, but about nineteen degrees. But down in um, in Port Phillip Bay around Melbourne, uh, about ten degrees. Probably going down to eight degrees. So that's Ooh, about that's your that's, that's about your temperature, isn't it? Water temperature?
4: Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I've, that's what I think I'll have tomorrow. But um, I think it's going to be twenty eight here tomorrow. So as seems like I to have that water. I'll be back to uh, back to warm conditions, so it should be good. But I'm looking forward to it, bit of sunshine and then a nice uh, a nice piece of steak afterwards. I, I hope anyway.
0: Well, nice to hear from Normandy, mate, and Normandy. Um, how many people will be in that triathlon in Normandy?
4: Oh, uh, uh, I think there's uh, about um, two and a half, three thousand 3,000, I think tomorrow there's a, there's about four races, so they'll be going all weekend. I just couldn't get down early enough. There was a few races today, and there's about two races tomorrow so it's a, it's a big festival down there so it should be good
0: good on you Matthew great to talk keep in touch mate always, always keep us uh, in the loop
4: thanks man good to talk to you take it easy and go the blues on uh, this week
0: eh? yeah tonight tonight Sunday night oh beautiful
4: alright oh, good on you have you good stuff man see you
0: later see you bye I'm in the storeroom of a lovely little fruit and veg shop it's in Oatley your name is? Yeah, I'm Kevin Huang. Kevin, every morning I see you with your truck.
6: You've been out to the markets. Yeah. Come back with a load of lovely produce from all over Australia. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I go to the market every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But sometimes uh, I don't have enough time to get everything I need. So I come back Tuesday and Thursday as well. <laughs> and even sometimes on Saturday, I have to go into the warehouse and get uh, a few things, just a quick visit. It's always interesting out there, isn't
0: it? When you see all the produce that comes in from all over the place, from Victoria and from Queensland. That's
6: right. A lot of semi-trailer, a lot of big trucks coming in and out. Very uh, interesting to see something new season just come in. New seasons now, like winter. What's big in winter? What's good in winter? Uh, Winter is a little bit boring, to be honest, because uh, not many varieties are available. At the moment, we mainly having uh, citrus. So we have a lot of different kinds of mandarins, even oranges, they have some navel, they have some cara-cara, which is a red rose color inside. Uh, they're quite nice too, but not very popular. So we have to cut them up and uh, have a try to test if they're good enough. We bring back to the shop and ask customer to try. <laughs>
0: Kevin, how did you get into this business? Well, first of all, where are you from originally?
6: Uh, I'm from Vietnam originally, but I came to Australia to Perth when I was 20, which was uh, 1994. So now I've been here for 25 years, So which is longer than the time I spent in my hometown. <laughs> which is where? Which is uh, Hai Phong in Vietnam, but I spent um, 15 years in Perth and only 10 years in Oatley, Sydney.
0: How did you get into the fruit and veg business?
6: Oh, I came to Perth as an overseas student and uh, my part-time job, when I had some free time, I went to work in a farm, strawberry picking and packing. I also applied for a job in the fruit market. And I started just one or two days a week. And after I graduated, I started a business in Fruit and Veg with my family members over there. So we had quite a big business over there too.
0: You do this job really well. I don't know if you like it, but you, you do the job really
6: well. Uh, I think I, I like the produce. Because um, my grandma and my mom also were in the fruit and vegetable business too. But overseas in Vietnam, I didn't pay attention when they were trading. Uh, I went to school, I went to uni obviously. But um, I think there was something in my blood. So that's why I really like a fruit and veg and yeah, I'm really into it. Where does most of the fruit and veg come from at the moment? From North Queensland, tomatoes and stuff like that? At the moment, yes, because uh, Queensland is warmer than New South Wales, mm. and a lot of fruit are coming from that way. And vegetable we get from uh, Victoria. Very good and fresh there too. There's nothing better than fresh fruit and veg, I reckon. You can't beat it. Yeah, I agree, because uh, we got a few customers, and they are joking with me. They said, ''Kevin, you're competing with the pharmacy across the road." I said, ''How and why?'' He said, because I come to you more often and I don't have to go to the pharmacy, so you're competing quite well. <laughs> Keeps you healthy. That's right. Yeah, keep healthy to eat more fruit and vegetable. Well, lovely to talk to you, Kevin. I should come
0: out to the markets with you, but what time do you leave in the morning to go to the markets?
6: Ah, I wake up at 3, so uh, I will give you a ring and we can go no, to the market no, at 3.30. No. <laughs> Good on you, Kevin. Good luck. Thank you.
0: Linda's in Newburgh. Good morning, Linda
1: hi how you going yeah good thanks um
0: where's it, where's Newburgh?
1: It's right next door to moi um oh, in the Latrobe in... valley yep, so if you know where warrigal is it's yes. um yeah just up the line from Warrigal All or right. down the line yeah yep. um uh it's yeah three degrees here and a bit chilly and still dark but um we've had some rain um beautiful day yesterday, but um Uh, I think this week is all just sunny days and frosts, so it's going to be a bit chilly and cold each day.
0: I don't mind a winter day if uh, the sun's shining. It's nice you can find a little spot in the sun in the coldest of a winter day and uh, you, you can get a little bit of pleasure from that, can't you, Linda?
1: Yep right a good gardening days actually um these sorts of days but actually what i rung about was Mm. um i work at wahala um which is a gold mining town an old gold mining town um 50 kilometers north of maui up in the Borbore ranges um and we run a tourist railway there um which is a bit similar to puffing billy but it goes through really spectacular scenery up at wahala now as a bit of a fundraiser and um, to bring awareness to one of our DH locomotives, which needs to be regauged, um, some ladies decided to do a yarn bombing exercise over this locomotive, mm. and the target was 600 squares, 12-inch uh, squares to fit over this locomotive, and um, Rowena, who's the organiser, has reached I think more than 800 squares, but. It's been an amazing community adventure with squares being posted from all over the state of Victoria.
2: Wow. Um,
1: Last week we got some from America and we got some from South Australia and they're all going to be sewn together to cover the DH loco that sits in the yard.
0: Isn't that nice?
1: Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's just, um, I know Rowena's just been gobsmacked at all the stuff nearly every day. There's <laughs> been stuff coming in the post, but it's all happening next Saturday when it's all uncovered. So our huge GH Loco um, that, well, the railway owns, but can't use because it needs to be re um, will be covered in this great big, Sort of like dressing gown, if you like, or big winter
0: coat. There's a bit of work in joining together 800 squares. Uh, That's for sure. Linda. It's taken
1: a uh, weeks and weeks, and we've had um, like little sewing days on Wednesdays for people to come along and sew them all together. How big's a square? Uh, 12
0: inches. 12 inches by 12, right?
1: So we worked out the other days about two and a half kilometres worth of squares.
0: Gee, isn't that amazing? To cover your DH Loco. So that's next Saturday in Walhalla? Yep. All right. That'll be a great day. Great day. It will be. And I bet they're all colourful and fantastic. Send us a photo.
1: I will, yeah. So the display will be on for about a month. So if people want to come in and see it, it'll just look
0: spectacular. Specky. Yeah. All right, Linda. Good on on you. Stay warm. Stay warm. Yes, we're trying to. Good on you. Okay, all right, bye. Bye. The moon landing uh, in 1969, interesting time. Australians all over were involved in it. Come and meet Peter Davies. Interesting bloke, talks about the sun and what he was doing when the landing was about to take place. I'm talking to Peter Davies. I'm in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales where it's chilly, but it is winter. We're talking about, we're going back to 1969 really. Peter, you you were part of, as lots of Australians were, part of the moon landing, if if I can put it that way. Uh, Tell me, where were you and what were you doing?
3: I was at Carnarvon Trucking Station, North West Australia, And I was in charge of a solar telescope there.
0: you better explain what a solar telescope is and and why you were needed.
3: Well, we were looking at the sun through a telescope which had a special filter in so you could see the sun in one wavelength only, very narrow band, which meant you could look at the sun through a telescope without burning your eyes.
0: And why was this important for the moon landing?
3: This was part of a network that NASA put up to keep an eye on the sun for 24 hours a day. There was Carnarvon... One station was at the Canary Islands, west of Africa, and the other one was in Colorado, so when one station closed down, the other one was open. So NASA could see the sun every minute of the day if it was not cloudy. And the reason for these were that the sun, when it's active, produces solar flares. And depending on the type and size of the flare, the sun would emit uh, proton emissions, uh, proton particles. And the danger with the proton particles was that anybody on the moon was unprotected because there was no atmosphere there. The Earth has a magnetic Magnetic field which shields us from these protons. If the protons were strong enough, they could harm the astronauts. What could kill them or something? It wouldn't kill them, but they'd be—they could have some sickness, particle sickness. When their proton flow was forecast, they could go back to their moon landing capsule, which gave them some protection. It has some metal. If the proton flare was really strong, they would have to take off and go back to the orbiting capsule, which meant that the mission would be aborted.
0: You had a very important job. How many people were working at Carnarvon when you were there, and what was your job?
3: I'm not certain, but there must have been 60 to 100 people working at Carnarvon between the various sections they had there. They were employed by a contractor. But I was employed by the Australian government, and the station director was the Australian government. In the span, Solar Particle Alert Network, there was myself with an assistant observer, then about three ladies who acted as they loaded cameras and kept the place going like that, and produced pictures, and a technician.
0: Was it a pretty exciting time, as you remember? That's a long time ago, isn't it? It's nearly 50 years, of course.
3: It was exciting, you know, at Carnarvon. We were part of the mission, you know, when the capsule was circling the moon and everything, we we were observing. But the SPAN network was also part of a worldwide network which observed the sun. We sent daily messages to other centers in Russia, America, France, Germany, Japan. Each country was observing the sun and forecasting what the sun was going to be doing.
0: So even though you're in Carnarvon, and Carnarvon, I'd say, in '69 was a fairly isolated sort of place, you were connected right around the world. We were, really, yes. (laughs) Exciting time. and So how long were you living in... Where were you from originally? I I noticed a a little accent. I've got
3: a Welsh accent, but I came here in 1961. But I was working at Woomera before that. Having spent about eight years in Woomera, I decided it was time for a change, which was a total change because... I used to be a computer engineer in Woomera. I was part of the Woomera Missile Centre there. I did the same job when I was in Wales, actually. And why did you come to Australia, Peter? Well, when I moved from Wales, I was working in London, and we found housing in London was like Sydney at the moment, far too expensive. And I saw the job advertised in Woomera, so I took it, and the the whole family emigrated to Woomera back in 1961. Carnarvon in 1969 didn't have television, and when the moon landing was on, of course, people in Sydney could see the astronauts walking about, but Carnarvon people couldn't. But it so happened that the Overseas Telecommunication Commission had a big dish outside Carnarvon, which got signals from satellites and from other places like America, and they piped these up to places like Sydney so they could watch the astronauts walking about on TV. Carnarvon couldn't, but what they did was the Odyssey piped the signal into the local cinema where they'd set up a small television and all the schoolchildren and their mothers were at the cinema watching the moon landing. While, of course, in Can- at the station itself, we couldn't see it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How do you look back on that time, Peter?
3: Oh, I loved it in Carnarvon. <laughs> Fishing... We much preferred the outback, you know, but the uh, the work was nice, good, it was different, you know. We were up at dawn, uh, you know, I started work before dawn, or finished work after sunset. It was a different kind of work completely, but, you know, with the sun, every day you're different. The sun rotates once every 27 days, it takes a full rotation, and you could see these spots coming around the edge of the sun, you could follow them around to the other side, and sometimes you could see these coming back, in 14 days, either bigger or smaller, you know, you could watch activity like that. You would learn how the sun works. You learn the effects on the earth of all these things.
0: And I suppose the rest of your working life must have seen a bit of a letdown after, after doing something or being part of something so monumental.
3: It was really, you know, but... Uh, You look forward to the next mission.
0: Did you work on other missions too?
3: Yeah, we worked on all the missions, Apollo missions. And after that, you know, there was Skylab, all that sort of stuff.
0: So, Peter, did you ever get to meet any astronauts?
3: Yes, we did, because occasionally they'd come out on visits to the tracking stations. And Alan Shepard came to Carnarvon once. And my three young daughters were presented to Alan Shepard because they gave him a bouquet of flowers, for instance.
0: So, Peter, you're not going back to Carnarvon? I mean, there'll be celebrations in Carnarvon and Tidbinbilla and Parks and all around the place. You're not going back?
3: I'm not going back this time. I went back for the 25th anniversary, but I'm 88 now. I'm a bit old, but my daughters are going there.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And it's lovely to talk to you, Peter.
3: I should point out that the the warning branch of Sydney now is operated by the Bureau of Meteorology. They've got a section, they call it now Space Weather which you can have a look at on their website, and you can see daily pictures of the sun and the warnings on there.
0: I don't think we'll ever live on the moon then. I mean, people talk about li- living on the moon. Uh, solar flares is just the solar least of their problems.
3: I doubt if you live on the moon. I doubt if you live on Mars even.
0: Good on you, Peter. Nice to talk to you. Thank you.
3: Yeah. Claire's in Dubbo. Morning, Claire.
0: Good morning, Ian. It's yeah, Claire Bagshaw here just
2: out of Dubbo. Oh, Claire, How are you?
0: Our, our one-time China correspondent, Claire.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah. see it. No, we've. Um, how long you know, ago? Right how to... long
0: ago was that, Claire?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, that was two thousand and six to eight.
0: So, dear, yeah, oh dear,
2: now I know time flies. Yeah. But, um Have
0: you been? We, have you been back to China?
2: We did go back last year, and um, just for a holiday, and it, it was quite. We hadn't been back for probably three or four years prior to, or even longer prior to that, and we were quite. Uh, amazed at the changes that had taken place there in terms of um, in terms of the new leader and the patriotism and the um, suspicion of westerners I guess that we saw a lot more than when we lived there um, but we yeah no we, we certainly enjoyed going back and um, seeing seeing some old friends and some old haunts
0: horns w- yeah what was the name of your book claire it was called um a china uh, was- a china moment was it Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And and, right. and I I read that book with interest. And you told me because you lived in the back streets in a little uh, for a while, and there was a little old man who was in the st- and uh, yeah, there was a and uh, was that Shanghai? You were in? Yeah, yeah. We were
4: in,
2: in Beijing. We were in the hutong there, and we had a little bike man that lived just around the corner, and um and used to shift his sort of shanty every day to try to escape. Or to try to, you know, not get taken away because he didn't have his permit to live there. Um, and then in Shanghai, we also lived amongst the people. But we we went back last year when we were there and went and saw our old neighbours and and had a chat with them and oh. they remembered us and um and and how they thought we ate their cats one night and <laughs> we had a good old laugh and um, yeah, it was really good to see them. They you ate their true- cats? Go yeah, we, well, they used to sit on our roof and. Make a racket and then they just disappeared one night, but anyway. And we'd happened to be away that weekend, so they thought we'd taken them with us and oh dear. got rid of them. But no, they were, they were great, great, simple people around where we lived. And we, yeah, really enjoyed getting back out there and seeing them and remembering and how, um, yeah, and seeing how things had changed. Is a much greater military presence up there now than when we lived
0: there. Well, it's and it's- it's interesting, isn't it? Someone like you who's lived there and you, you traveled back and forth and you were doing agriculture and helping them with agriculture. We, we talked once to a lady who'd just gone through Iran, which is the old Persia, and she went through Iran and she said the people were lovely and they welcomed them and they talked to them and um, not so in Pakistan. She said Pakistan was very scary, Not not that people weren't Welcoming, but but there was a lot of lot of uh, security. But she said in Iran yeah. it was lovely and the people were lovely, and yet you contrast that with the people who run the joint, and the same in China. The Chinese people are obviously lovely people, but the people who run these countries have a different worldview, I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. And they can, and they um, they use the the huge number of people and the control they have over them. If they yeah if they got out of control they know full well that who'd be the more powerful um, front so they just have to try to control them which is in an age of internet and things is incredible that they can you know put blanket bans over any knowledge of Tiananmen Square or. Um, you know, there's lots of people our age there who, when we were there, they just didn't know didn't know about it at all, hadn't heard of it, mm. and it's yeah. I think when we were there, it was the 20th anniversary of the massacre, not the 30th, and um, and we were we were shocked that they just had no idea what was going on or or what you know any any knowledge of the day whatsoever.
0: I've got a I've got an email here which I just my. You've probably seen my desk. It's from a bloke called Howie Campbell, and he said, um, uh, This was sent last week, I think last week, no, a couple of weeks ago. It's 30 years today since this awful event took place in China. I was on a tour with 25 Australians in '89, visiting Bangkok, etc., Kathmandu, Moscow, St. Petersburg. We travelled by train from Hong Kong to China. The murders took place on the 3rd and 4th of June 89. I was sitting beside a female Chinese guide and mentioned how unusual the fine misty rain looks. She replied, They are the tears of Buddha crying for our murdered children. I burst into tears, says Howie, and I've never forgotten that moment. When we reached Yan, we were put up in a brand new 22-storey hotel. By this time, all of China was upset. And in Yan, is that the right pronunciation is she and
2: she, um,
0: she, yes yeah. <laughs> she, um, it's like like um you know uh, people trying to pronounce australian words people were marching 12 abreast and chanting against their government mob violence is frightening and we were confined to the hotel i was watching tv in my room and the government tv was showing front end loaders loading bodies of murdered students and dumping them onto trucks it was awful very soon the tv went black as the government realized what they were showing our tour guide filmed the TV stuff, and I've often wondered what happened to that film. I know it was yeah. smuggled out of China. I believe there was in, in excess of 2,600 people killed. I managed to get through on the phone to 3LO, ABC. Um, the then 3LO, which is now ABC Melbourne, and asked them to contact our tour organisers and get them to send aircraft to Zion, Is that right? Zian. Re- ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, stop it. Uh, to rescu- <laughs> getting through the huge angry crowds to get to the airport was frightening, but when the crowd saw we were Australians, they let us through and yelled for us to tell the world what their People's Army had done to the students. This was mm. a time in my life I will never forget, says Howie Campbell.
2: Yeah, well, I'm surprised they got that much. They they were actually showing it on TV. That's incredible in itself.
0: Claire, you're in Dubbo. Uh, you rang for a weather report. Are you be cold in Dubbo?
2: Yeah, look, it has been. I think I think we're feeling it because it has, you know, it was a pretty warm autumn really up until three or four weeks ago, and then it's hit with a vengeance. So we're um, we're minus one today, which isn't too bad, but been out to feed the potty lambs and um the last two mornings their water's been frozen but it wasn't this morning so that's that's our um weather gauge between that and the little blue ends that line up on the windowsill for their um breakfast every morning when it's very
0: cold and we don't see them in summer
2: yeah but it's um anyway it is winter and it has been very dry but
0: so Claire, and you're having a a, another a blessed event soon uh, my producer lee kelly tells me
2: yeah, a couple of weeks away from number four, so we'll um, we'll be busy between the animals and the kids and the farm. It's um it's an exciting time, but a bit maybe a bit less exciting than when we lived in China in a different way, I guess. But anyway, it, it's fine. Nice, well, I it?
0: think it's yeah. To me, I'd rather be in Dubbo. Um, it sounds good. Yeah. I hope to hope to see you sometime, Claire. And lovely to talk to you.
2: Yeah, you too, up Okay, all the best.
0: Good on you. Bye. Bye.